This is a Federal News Network podcast. Navy planners believe unmanned underwater vessels will eventually become an important component in operations. Now an associate at the Naval Research Laboratory is close to a breakthrough in a crucial part of future vehicles, namely their external surfaces. Here with more on the research and why it's important, research associate Nicole Shu, Dr. Shu, good to have you on. Thank you for having me this morning. And her NRL mentor, engineer Jason Getter. Mr. Getter, good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Nicole, let's start with you. What is it you're actually looking at here as a researcher? And is it in the field of electronics, mechanics, fluid dynamics? Set the scene here for us. (laughs) Yeah, all of those things, basically. The premise of this current work is to create shark skin-inspired surfaces for turbulent drag reduction of unpiloted underwater vehicles, or UUVs. So to take a step back first, more broadly, animals have evolved for over hundreds of millions of years That's in response what they tell to these me. evolutionary yeah. pressures. Yeah. So you can say that they're really locally optimized for real-life constraints, which is very similar to how we as scientists can address engineering problems. So when we take a problem like how do we create more energy efficient vehicles, we can really look to nature for inspiration to do some of that major legwork for us. And then we can take the best of both natural and artificial design and really run with ideas like building bio-inspired shark denticle surfaces. Yeah, well, tell us what that is, actually. What is it about a shark skin and denticles that uh, apply here? So what that means is that sharks have microstructures on their skin called denticles, which look like small teeth or reptile scales. And this trait has been shown to improve things like speed, energy efficiency, stealth, and anti-fouling properties so that they can stay so fresh and so clean. But we'd really like to take advantage of these existing properties to create artificial shark skin denticle-inspired surfaces that we can then apply on UUVs to improve the overall performance of underwater vehicles. And it can really seem counterintuitive that adding these microstructures can actually improve the hydrodynamics. But you can think of it like how the dimples on a golf ball improve its aerodynamics, less drag, more lift, more backspin. And that's essentially what we're trying to do in the process of testing by adding shark skin-like textures. So what are the best design features, looking from real sharks and previous research in this field, and how can we apply them to underwater vehicles? So this is a part of a greater line of work with bioinspired designs and UUVs at NRL. And Jason, this sounds like it's both a design and also at some point a manufacturing challenge. Yes, absolutely. Nicole has been working with different manufacturing processes to figure out what the best materials are for some of her designs. Luckily, at the Naval Research Lab, we have some great facilities for additive manufacturing, and Nicole's been able to leverage that for some of her early work on her research. And how do you envision making such a dentical skin, let's call it, a reality? What are some of the promising things you're looking at? Nicole? Mm -hmm. Currently, I'm testing various shark denticle-inspired designs using additive manufacturing techniques. So taking inspiration from real natural shark denticles and previous research, we've created this CAD, a computer-aided design that we can then print using various state-of-the-art 3D printers at NRL. And we can test parameters like the denticle sizes, spacings, and materials from rigid plastics to flexible elastomers. And it's been really interesting exploring the various capabilities because it's often a trade-off with resolution and the size of the prints. So we can get something that is very high quality, high resolution in terms of the print, but it's limited to an area in size of a business car or smaller. But we can choose to reduce that resolution for a larger print, like with a base foil. So what I'm currently working on 
and moving into the next steps are testing these 3D printed surfaces onto hydrofoils. So think something that looks like an airplane wing or a fish body. And once we can show improved performance using lift, drag, thrust, power consumption, and other metrics, we can then take the most viable candidates for integration onto UUVs like fish-inspired robots like the Wanda vehicle or other undersea gliders. We're speaking with Dr. Nicole Shu. She's a research fellow at the Laboratories for Computational Physics and Fluid Dynamics at the Naval Research Laboratory. And with her mentor, Jason Gator, is an engineer at the NLR. And let me ask you this, uh, Jason. It sounds like potentially this could have very wide-ranging application beyond the smaller unmanned underwater vehicles for the Navy. Yes, I think that's right. Our focus in the Laboratories for Computational Physics and Fluid Dynamics at NRL has been primarily on small underwater vehicles. We've focused a lot of our vehicle research on bio-inspired propulsion and control mechanisms, but we haven't considered uh, altering some of the surface properties and roughnesses as Nicole's discussing here. So we're excited about the work that she's doing. And in addition to the potential for drag reduction and energy savings, uh, we're also going to be looking at how these denticles could provide enhanced thrust production when they're placed on the actuated body or fin surfaces that we're looking at. But to your question about larger systems, I think that that has been shown in in previous literature that that this can provide benefits at at all scales, but it's not one of our primary focuses at at NRL right now. Well, yeah, it's early, but I mean, you could almost imagine this on airplane surfaces and ship hulls and so forth. If anything, I mean, that's the essential challenge for the Navy is better, more efficient flight and motion through water and underwater, correct? Correct. Absolutely. That is correct. This has wide-ranging applications, and I know Nicole's uh, excited to see uh, what her results prove out and where her research can go from here. And Nicole, I wanted to ask you, of all of the studies and fields you could have pursued, judging from a pretty impressive resume, and as a young woman leading the way in STEM, which is always something people are seeking nowadays, what made you choose Mm. naval dynamics and naval research as something you wanted to pursue? My background is in bio-inspired robotics. So in the past, in my PhD, I focused on aquatic invertebrates like jellyfish. I previously created a biohybrid robotic jellyfish by integrating a microelectronic structure onto a live animal. And we chose jellyfish because of their energy efficiency. But each model organism has its pros and cons for bio-inspired design. So while jellyfish are incredibly energy efficient, literally the most energy efficient animal in the world, Other animals like sharks offer different advantages, such as speed and anti-fouling, as well as as well as energy efficiency compared to robots. But it sounds like this work you're doing now brings together a lot of issues besides fuel efficiency, which is, I guess, a strategic issue more than necessarily a green issue for the Navy, but also stealth, because the ability to move through water undetected is crucial. And of course, speed is always an advantage. Yes, it does have applications for stealth. So sharks naturally rely on stealth and hunting behaviors to survive. So the hope is that artificial shark skin surfaces can also decrease noise signatures and vehicle wakes, which would then make these vehicles stealthier, but also minimize potential disturbances to the environment from a civilian perspective on ocean monitoring. So while it's true that this has the potential to improve stealth in underwater vehicles, it's also true that this has the potential to increase speed, thrust, overall efficiency, and anti-fouling. 
uh, with broader applications for both the Navy and civilian purposes. And in doing the research, then, without having built quantities of the material, it sounds like you are doing a digital approach to testing the theory of how a denticled surface or shark-type skin moves through fluid. It is a very experimental approach, but as Jason mentioned, we're part of the laboratories for computational physics and fluid dynamics. So we are hoping to incorporate a lot of different applications and and potential perspectives onto this research, including computational fluid dynamics to visualize what are the fluid flows. And it's really this combination of using theoretical models as well as experimental work that's going to move us forward. So you look at screens and have your hands in water, testing surfaces both. Absolutely. Both are fun. (laughs) And Jason, we should be happy that we have someone working for the Naval Research Laboratory that is concerned with really well-developed organisms that bite and sting. Yes. Whenever we look at postdoctoral research candidates, we're always looking to expand the expertise and fill capability gaps within our laboratories for computational physics, but also across NRL as as a whole. And Nicole had a very strong background working with bio-inspired systems, and she brings a a new expertise uh, and an interest in expanding our experimental design and, and fluid dynamics capabilities. So it's wonderful having her as part of the team. All right. Jason Getter is an engineer and engineering mentor at the Naval Research Laboratory. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Nicole Shu is a research fellow at the Laboratories for Computational Physics and Fluid Dynamics at NRL. Great speaking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Still to come on Federal News Network, Congress seems to get deeper and deeper into its own maze. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration And he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic 
in, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Ch- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. 
But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's in an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service, Uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, What comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants, and I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work is done. And, um, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? 
Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.